911. What is your emergency? Ladies never kiss and tell, but we do kill and tell. I'm back. It's Wednesday, so you know what that means. New episode. Sorry I left you guys hanging last week. Um, After the last episode I posted, I didn't want to subject you guys to my awful sick voice again. So consider yourselves lucky. And if you didn't know by now, my name is Kaylee and this is Kill and Tell Podcast. All right, guys. So I just got back from Florida this past weekend and my best friend got married there in Marco Island. Honestly, not only was it a much-needed getaway for me mentally, but truly the most stunning wedding. Oh my god, I'm just like reliving it in my head still. Like, the whole, every day was perfect. Every day. I don't know, guys, but being in Florida, I'm like, oh, I need to live somewhere warm. As much as I love Boston, like, get me somewhere warm all year round. Like, is there anything better? Let me know. And coffee corner this morning, I had a caramel macchiato with caramel cream and a dash of caramel syrup as well. You can tell we really, we really, 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 we really, we really went all out on the caramel today. So what do you guys say? Caramel or caramel? I can never know. I don't know. I truly feel like I need another coffee and it's only 1130 in the morning. But my brain is so foggy. Like, I don't know if you guys can tell, which you probably will throughout the episode, but like, my God, COVID brain is real. The only thing I will say was that I didn't have any fun or creative coffees and I actually haven't had like a good one recently. So that is what my determination is. For next episode, I'm going to get like a bomb ass coffee to talk to you guys about. Okay, okay, okay. Enough of the rambling. Let's jump into this case because I'm so excited. I don't know if you guys have heard of this case before or not, but it's one that like, sits with you. Once you hear, you'll never forget it, I promise you. It just lingers in the back of your mind, which I don't know why I haven't already done this case yet, but here it is. This is the case of, drumroll please, Mary Vincent. And if you don't know the case of Mary Vincent, you might know it as the case of Lawrence Singleton, which actually that was a spoiler alert, so pretend I didn't say that. So this case is like one of many reasons why hitchhiking is a huge no-no on my list. I swear, I just, like, will never understand why people thought this was a good idea back in the day. Like, hey, let me stand on the side of the road and get in a stranger's car and hopefully I don't get fucking killed. Like, okay, cool. The first time I heard this story was back on when, I don't know, was it A&E or TLC? They used to have that show called I Survived, which I feel like most of you guys should know. And if not, you can find it on YouTube. But this is, that's the first time I heard this story. So in 1978, Mary Vincent was 15 years old. Mary Vincent had a passion for dance and she actually danced competitively and had a plan to go pro. For a while, Mary lived with her parents in Nevada, but she ended up running away because her parents were going through a divorce. I don't know. I feel like any 15 year old girl like already like going through what they think is the end of the world with friends and school and boys. The last thing you want to deal with is your parents' divorce. So she up and left. So Mary was currently in the San Francisco Bay Area 
And this is kind of where it gets confusing because I say this is where it gets confusing. We're only like two minutes into this case. Some reports say that she was heading home to Nevada back to her parents. And some reports say that she was actually just heading to Los Angeles. Mary herself says like, I just wanted to get home and she didn't want to spend another day out alone. So to me, I think she was going to Nevada, but at the same time, I could be wrong and I usually am. So whether or not where she was going, currently she was in Berkeley, California, which is in the San Francisco Bay area. And she was hitchhiking along a road. And on this road, it was pretty popular to hitchhike. She was actually surrounded by a bunch of other young people doing the same exact thing. Mary recalls seeing at least two other people with the same sign as her, indicating that they were also going south in the same general direction. When a man approached in a blue van, Mary noticed that the van was empty aside from the driver. But when the man rolled down his window, he said that he only had room for one person. Which, okay, red fucking flag, guys. Literally, like, you're hitchhiking. You're a 15-year-old girl, and a guy comes up in a van, not to mention, like, it's a van, stereotype, I know, it's a stereotype, like, a fucking van, and he goes, oh, I can only take one person when there's two other people going the same direction as you that he could have taken as well. Uh, Just mind blown, mind blown, right there, right then and there. And I'm not even, like, the only person that says that. Obviously, you guys are all thinking that, but even the people that Mary was standing with warned her, they were like, dude, don't go. Like, this is sketchy. Like, why can he only take one person? Mary looked at the guy and she was like, well, he's like a grandfather type figure. Like, he was this older gentleman. And she was like, what, what's the worst he can do? Like, he's not gonna be able to do anything. He's old. Desperate to get home, Mary gets in the van. And at this point, she's just completely exhausted and ends up falling asleep. Which, okay. Again, I don't know how because I would be shaking in my boots. When Mary came to, she noticed that the signs are actually not headed south. In fact, that they're going the complete opposite direction. And Mary calls the man out. She's like, dude, where are we going? Like, this isn't the direction I want to go in. And the man immediately pulls over like, oh no, like, I'm an honest man. I was making an honest mistake. Um, Let me pull over and like, we'll turn around. So instead of just like pulling over and like literally turning around, he pulled over and stopped and goes, oh, like, I need to go to the bathroom. I need to relieve myself. And Mary's like, okay, this is sketchy. So at that moment, I think she knew something was wrong, but she had noticed that her shoe was untied. So she's like, okay, if I'm going to flee this guy, I need to tie my shoe because otherwise I'm going to trip and fall, which, all right, like, smart. So as he goes to relieve himself, she opens up the passenger door and gets out kneels down to proceed to tie her shoe. This is when the man comes up from behind her and strikes her in the head by what is later to be determined as a sledgehammer. When Mary regained consciousness, she was actually tied up in the back of the van, lying there naked. Mary was held in the van overnight and was repeatedly raped by this man again and again until daylight. Mary recalls begging the man to, quote, just set her free and let her go. Watching Mary recite this part in I Survived honestly gave me chills, not that the whole thing doesn't, But she was saying, she's like, I was just begging him and begging him to let me go, set me free. And ironically, the next morning, the man pulls Mary out of the van in the middle of nowhere and goes, you want to be set free? I'll set you free. And it was in this moment that the man pulled out a hatchet and cut off both of Mary's arms. Mary stated that she, quote, felt all the pain, the sharpness, 
the burning, and when my blood was leaking out of my body, I felt the hot. End quote. Guys, he chopped off her fucking arms. What the fuck? Like, backtrack, while he chopped off her left arm, which was, like, right below the elbow, she grabbed onto him with her right arm, and he started chopping off her right arm, and then she starts falling back. And it wasn't until she fell on the ground and she's lying there bleeding that she realized, like, oh my god, he cut both of my arms off. And as she's lying there bleeding out, she sees the man in the distance and he's like flicking his arm and flicking his arm. And and then Mary noticed he was trying to get something off of his arm. And when she looked closer, it was her right hand still fully grasped on his arm and he had to shake it loose. And I don't know why, but that like just sends chills up my body. Guys, oh, I can't even imagine what this girl's going through. Like I literally can't. So At this point, her body's going into shock. She's just laying there and she's not moving. Her body's like pretty much going limp. And and at this point, she thinks that he thought she was dead. And he started to drag her body. And he dragged her body over to a railing and threw her off of a 30-foot cliff. Like, that. no words. Honestly, no fucking words. And I'm sorry I'm cursing a lot, but like, this case blows my mind. So, the fall ended up breaking four of Mary's ribs, and while she was laying at the bottom of the cliff bleeding out, her body was just shutting down, like, she kept saying, like, she was so tired and all she wanted to do was sleep, but she couldn't because there was this voice in her head saying, you can't go to sleep, you can't go to sleep, you have to get this guy, he can't do this to anyone else. And because she didn't want somebody else to go through what she went through, She fought the urge to sleep and she, guys, this woman, she dug her stubs of her arms into the dirt and into the mud to reduce the bleeding, which is so smart because like, I don't know if I would have thought to do that in that time, but she was losing so much blood. Like if she didn't do this, I don't know if she would have made it. So after she did this, she began to crawl her way up a 30 foot cliff guys with broken ribs and no arms. By the time Mary reached the road, it was nightfall, and she could hear faint cars in the distance, so she decided to follow that sound. She ended up walking for about three miles, and finally reached where the sound and the traffic was coming from around daylight. The first car she came in contact with um, was a red convertible, and it had two guys in it, but as soon as they saw Mary, they just like sped off. They're like, nope, get me out of here, because think about it. You have this naked, bloody woman who's covered in mud and has no arms straggling towards you. What What do you do? Like, that's straight out of a horror movie. Even Mary says it herself in the episode. She's like, I was something straight out of a horror movie. As she was. Because I think if I saw that coming towards me, I don't know what I would do. And she said, she was like, I don't blame them. So the next car to approach her, thank God was a couple who actually ended up taking the wrong exit and they were on their honeymoon at the time and when they saw Mary they stopped and helped her into their truck and they're like just lay here we'll get you to the hospital don't move and they wrapped her arms in towels drove to a payphone and called paramedics 
At this point, a rescue helicopter met them and ended up flying Mary to a hospital. At the hospital, doctors told Mary she had lost over half the blood in her body, and at this point, the remaining blood was at a toxic level. So it turns out that he actually said he cut off her arms because he didn't want her to be identified by her fingerprint. However, I still have no idea what he did with her arms, and I can't find any answers. So guys, if you find her arms, or you find out where they were, or who took them, or if he took them, let me know, because your girl needs some answers, and the answers I'm getting are not cutting it. While in the hospital, Mary described her attacker to police and was able to give a very detailed sketch to the sketch artist. So when this sketch was released to the public, the man's own neighbor calls in to turn him in. 10 days later, police identify Mary's attacker as Lauren Singleton, who was a retired merchant seaman. When being questioned by police, Singleton said that Mary was a sex worker and he was asleep in the back of his van. And it was actually another hitchhiker who was driving Singleton's van and picked up Mary. And this guy's name was Larry. And Larry was the one that attacked her, which, hmm, Lauren Singleton, who also goes by the name Larry, happened to have another hitchhiker drive his van named Larry. Like, are we putting the pieces together? Because I can't do it. In 1979, Singleton was charged with, ready for this? Count one, forcible rape. Count two, forcible oral copulation, count three, kidnapping, count four, sodomy, count five, forcible oral copulation, count six, mayhem, and count seven, attempted murder. The indictment also alleged that Singleton used a deadly weapon in committing the offenses charged in counts three, count six, and count seven, and inflicted great bodily injury in committing the offenses charged in counts three and count seven. Singleton obviously pleaded not guilty because, like, honestly, does anything surprise us at this point? He pleaded not guilty, but was ultimately found guilty on all charges and was found guilty of attempted murder in the first degree. Singleton was sentenced to drumroll, please, guys, because why would the justice system ever work out in our favor? Ever. Honestly. Like, you say two plus two and they give you seven. Singleton was sentenced to literally only 14 years in prison. Granted, at the time, this was the maximum sentence that could be served. However, like, even the judge was like, no, I wish he could go to jail for the rest of his life. Like, he should never be let out of prison. But they couldn't do that. Like, 14 years was it. This is almost, I think, like, obviously this whole case is fucked up, but this part, Mary has to pass Lauren Singleton on the way out of the courtroom. And as she's passing him, he has the audacity to say, if it's the last thing I do, I will finish the job. Instantly, Mary obviously turns pale and runs out of the courtroom because what else would you do? A few years later, in 1983, they passed a work incentive law to help overcrowding in the prisons. So basically, the more the prisoner would work, the more their sentence would be reduced. Which... Okay, I can understand if it's, like, a petty theft crime or, like, a drug charge. But for a murderer and a rapist, anything else for that matter, like, this rule should not apply to you. Sorry. But sure enough, it does. In 1987, Lauren Singleton was paroled after serving only eight years. Eight years. He served literally, like, half his sentence. A little longer. When we already thought the 14 years was short... He got to reduce that in half. Mind-blowing and it's absurd that this is even allowed. But because Singleton's case was so heinous, word spread super fast that he was being released and everyone was like, yep, nope, that's not happening. And every time Singleton was to be placed somewhere, 
communities would band together and like rally and protest and be like, nope, like you're not letting this monster in our neighborhood. Like he can't live here. You want to let him out of jail? Fine, but he's not coming to our town. And this happened in half a dozen cities. They all did it. So finally, like the governors had no other choice, but they were like, okay, Singleton, you get to live. They're like, you want a free ride to a trailer and you get to live on the grounds of the San Quentin prison until your parole's over because we have nowhere else to put you. And when he was living here, they put him on like a 24-hour surveillance. And I don't think it was like to watch him. I think it was like so they could watch other people trying to harm him, which he doesn't deserve that. Feed him to the wolves. Feed him to the wolves, baby. In 1988, his parole was finished and he moved to Tampa, Florida, which is his hometown. And in 1990, Singleton actually served 48 days for petty theft. And then we don't really hear about him again until February 10th, 1997, when he is released from a psychiatric hospital after attempting suicide. It wasn't clear on exactly how he attempted suicide, but something about attaching a dryer or like a dryer hose to his car or his exhaust and like tried driving. I don't know. But, like, some people stopped him and saved him and woo, hooray, whatever. So he went to a psychiatric hospital and then ended up checking himself out on February 10th. On February 19th, 1997, police respond to a report of a woman being attacked. On February 19th, 1997, police receive a call about a woman being attacked in somebody's house. So when police responded to this call and they arrived on scene, they found Singleton. <laughs> of course. There's Singleton opening the door, covered in blood, with his shirt unbuttoned, and then when they enter the home, they found the body of 31-year-old Roxanna Hayes lying on the living room floor, stabbed to death. Hayes was the mother of three young children. Um, She was also a sex worker, but it was said that she was only a sex worker so she could provide food for her family and pay the rent. Like, are we even surprised that he did it again? No, we're not. Do we think that he's probably responsible for some other unsolved cold case in the middle of those 10 years that he was just roaming the earth? Yeah, 100% we do. Because monsters like this don't change. People don't change. Men don't change. I don't know. I'm like really mad about this one. There was a few stories, but basically Singleton tried defending himself being like, she tried to rob me and took my wallet and I twisted her arm to get it back and She lashed out and grabbed a knife from the kitchen and accidentally stabbed herself. Like, what? What? You have a dead woman lying on the ground. You are convicted rapist and attempted murderer. And you're going to say that she, oh, the knife slipped and she stabbed herself. Really? Can we at least get a little bit more creative? On April 14th, 1998, Mary Vincent actually ended up testifying in the trial against Singleton, and she was able to tell the court her story and how she was attacked by this man. Singleton actually ended up being convicted on first-degree murder and was sentenced to death in the electric chair. About time we get our act together and put this guy behind bars for life. However, Singleton died of cancer in 2001 behind bars at the age of 74. Mary ended up going on to say... I have now obtained the long overdue psychological counseling to help me get over my nightmares and fear, yet sometimes I feel like that confused 15-year-old runaway trapped in the body of a 35-year-old mother of two. No one should ever have to go through what I went through or what the children of Roxanne Hayes will go through without their mother. Today, 
Mary's an outstanding artist who often illustrates women as action figures in strong female roles. Um, She has two grown sons. After the death of Singleton, Mary Vincent also went on to say that while Singleton's death did not grant her the peace that she had hoped for, she said that the relief she saw wash over her son's faces when they learned that Singleton was gone for good may just be enough for her too. And I just think that spoke volumes because for so long when he was out and he was paroled, she lived in fear. I mean, he literally told her, if it's the last thing I do, I will finish the job. So obviously she's going to be constantly looking over her shoulder, constantly checking up, seeing where he is, getting any information she can on him because any normal person would. I mean, she's lucky to be alive today. After living in fear for so long to finally like knowing, okay, he's behind bars. That's, I mean, that's huge. But even then, like even when he was behind bars, like she wasn't completely at ease. And she felt like she was robbed of answers when he passed away. I don't know. She like really wanted more, but because her sons got relief out of this, like that's the only reason it ended up being enough for her. I don't know, guys. This case, I'm going to link the YouTube I Survived episode because, oh my god, like, she talks with such strength, but at the same time, like, you can see the trauma in her eyes. Oh, it gives me chills. It really does. It truly, guys, like, this case of all cases, it's probably the most impactful, and I want to start doing more survivor cases, which let me know if you liked this one, because telling you guys a story, like, as traumatic as it was at the end, like, we all knew she was gonna be okay. I mean, not okay, obviously, she went through a lot of stuff, but she survived, and she's a survivor, And I think that I'm going to want to mix up a few more survivor stories in here because it lightens the mood a little, I think. And it's nice to look forward to, for sure. I wish that I could dive more into the Roxanne part of the case as well because I feel like that's also a huge case and, like, I don't want Roxanne's case to be overshadowed by Mary's because they each deserve their own spotlight. But I couldn't find too much on the case and I will keep looking and if I do find anything, I'll link it for you guys. But truly, I mean... Lauren Singleton was a monster and the world is better off without him. And it's just unfortunate that Mary and Roxanne had to have pieces and their lives taken from this man. But yeah, so that was today's case. Um, Let me know if you liked stories like this and if you want to hear more like this or if you want me to switch it up or if you have a case you want to hear about. Guys, just talk to me, okay? Just want, just want to hear from you. But you can do that at killandtellpodcast at gmail.com or you can follow the Instagram page at killandtellpodcast. And next week, we will have Brayden on as our special guest. So that is something exciting to look forward to. Um, Get a little more banter into your lives um, if you guys are missing it at all. And yeah, go order your merch, guys. Seriously, it's so cute. And I can't say it enough, but I live in my ghosted sweatshirt. I truly do. But yeah. Thanks for sticking with me through this transition of season two. I know it's a little bit different, but I love you guys so much. And as always, keep it spooky and stay caffeinated.